big rocks and all that sort of thing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, will you welcome to the stage Johnny James Hutton and Mr. Mick Wall! Readers! Readers! Let me hear you say, in the actuality. In the actuality! I think they know the podcast. And why are we here? We're here to make Saudi money. Say Saudi money. We're going to make it rain. All right, stop that. Get on with it. Sorry. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, wow. Right, right. Don't milk it. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Is Ross Halfin here? I'm not one to milk it. Uh, mm. Let's make that clear. Um, now it's it's a great show tonight. Uh, if you were here, anybody was here last time? Oh bloody hell! Gluttons <laughs> for. Are well, your friend? The John's fans are here. I see. I hope that bloody Rush guy isn't here, John. Oh no, I hope he is. Oh, he is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fantastic! Oh, no. He hasn't shut up about that since. Well, you're a hero, aren't you? Yeah, we'll get to that. Thank you. Much appreciated contribution from the back. Uh, Now, readers, we thought tonight we would start out with some rock news. Oh, yeah. And this is the stuff that's hot off the press. Um, So hot, I'm going to have to read it. Hang on. Because uh, in the hours and hours of preparation for this show, uh, it's not like I just dash it off at the last minute in the cab. You know, that's not the way we go, is it, John? No, really. No, no. So we're going to start with some. Uh, here we go. Ah, <laughs> ah, ah. Who has heard the most recent pod about the ACDC clock? Yeah. What's your feelings? Any good? Wasted. Is that Rush again? <laughs> but ACDC, I mean, who's left? There's Angus. Are we doing this again? We're live, John. We haven't done it live before. Um, there's Angus, there's Jono, and there's a bloody big clock. Did you get excited by the clock? No. I'm too young to have seen them in their prime anyway. <laughs> well, that's most of us, isn't it? Uh, Except me, yeah, I saw them in their yeah, prime. Yeah. 
All right, well, that went down well, so... Um, what well, was that it? That was the news? I was waiting... No, no, that was one item. I you were going to add something to it. That was one item. Um, here's another item. Uh, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you jump I in then. I apologise for this. Jump well, you, in. I didn't know you were just going to rehash something we did already. Yeah. <laughs> John, please, give us a fresh take. No, Go no, on. no, no, I, I, no, no, I've got I'm, nothing I'm to say about ACDC at all. Bon Jovi documentary yeah. on Disney. Anybody seen that? No one has. I haven't. I mentioned it to John. He wouldn't even discuss it, would you? No, I've got zero. Is it, uh, I'd be interested if it was a biopic, like the, the one they did of The Dirt. That was good. They what, a actors. Bon Jovi? Yeah, yeah. They had actors. The guy who was Aussie was amazing. They'd get a crowbar Aussie into that. That would be great. Okay. All right, so we're off to a flying start. Um, I'm going to forget the news because I don't think Thank that's going God. very well. Thank God. I As you know, do it. our special guest this evening is the one and only Stephen Wilson. Yes. Let's it's hear it for like Stephen. It. Now, Stephen is known, uh, not, not to his friends, but to us behind his back, as the lord of the studio, as the whiz... Well, he is. When you think of Stephen Wilson, yeah, go on, John. You, well, you think of when you think sound, of you know, soundscape. You think, well, like, you know, what does he do all day? You know, what does he do he all day? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, I've got his book here. It's a collaboration yeah, don't, between Stephen and, and Mick. Yeah. And it, there is a lot of studio stuff in it. I have to say. Yeah. yeah. Well, there would be though, wouldn't there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you think of Stephen, you think of the studio. So I was just having a chat with him just now. We're talking about what we might talk about. And I said, well, does the concept of the studio exist anymore? Because everyone does it at home, don't they? Back in the day, the time you're going to talk about, the era we want to talk about, you would a record company would give you $1.5 million or whatever it was and say, right, go away for 12 months. Go, you know, go to... 12 weeks. No, 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 no. It was, I mean, you know, how long did these albums take? Seriously, they take years sometimes. Def Leppard, those kind of people. True, Six true. months. Go to a yeah. residential s studio with a load of money, with an all-star producer, and we'll, you know, come back when you're finished. That, <coughs> that, that, I think that world is gone. Well, it's gone because people don't buy records anymore. Exactly. Record companies could do that because the record would make millions, so they're quite happy to budget but these days, literally no one, well, compared to the millions. Um, I mean, Iron Maiden, the only band left that I know of personally that still do it the old way. You know, they'll, they'll find a big expensive studio in Paris or the Bahamas and they'll book it out for three or four months. Um, Steve Harris always goes to an Airbnb, always. <laughs> Nico McBrain always goes for the five-star penthouse suite in the hotel i want my suite that's nico by the way um and they bring in kevin shirley for about 12 weeks and yeah that's kevin shirley's your mate isn't he he's my you mate. went to malibu with kevin shirley didn't you to his little <laughs> he was so pleased with himself he was all puffed up oh i've been to malibu with kevin shirley <laughs> You know I wouldn't be like that. <laughs> he was exactly uh, like that. Just because me and a, just because me and he's Kev, all giddy, as he I was all giddy. He's, he's mixing an album. It's amazing. Yeah. The fuck's he that. talking about? That. Now listen, I may have spent some time in the boo, you know, <laughs> yeah, with <that's> <laughs> the boo. with Kevin or Kev, 
as he's known to the his caveman. dear friends like me. The caveman. The caveman, yes. You, you remember yes, that, yeah. yes. But we thought to sort of set the scene a bit before Stephen comes out, who really is. Um, Stephen's probably been in more studios than any artist we've ever thought of. I mean, we will find out. I presume he lives in one or has one in very close proximity to where he lives, I would imagine. Well, we'll find out, John. There's there's one of your questions for him (laughs) right away. I'm going to blow them early. In his garage. What did he say? Is there more to that? <laughs> Where does he put his car then? We, we, we can find this stuff out. Yeah, he's, he's got a shed. He might have two sheds. Well, two sheds. He's yeah. known as Stephen Two Sheds Wilson, isn't he? <laughs> In fact, yeah. I can exclusively well, reveal his next album. Working the, title is Two Sheds. One of the people that he is famous for remixing, Jethro Tuller, once went to Ian Anderson's house. You did? Yeah, and it was so big, it had two addresses. <laughs> said, Seriously, this house had two addresses, yeah. We couldn't find it. <laughs> you mean like two it front like, doors? No, 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 like two, it was so big, it was an estate, it was so big, it was like, you know, the A57 over here and the A46 over there, and in between it was Ian Anderson's, yeah. Is this around the corner from where you live? (laughs) As we all know, John lives on Rockstar Millionaires Row. Roger Taylor, his his studio. Who lives around the corner from you? Exactly, I went to his studio. Oh, oh, a studio studio. Because it's at his house, yeah. So, again, goes to my theory that, you know. So, would you like to share with us an actual, (laughs) I was in the studio with a rock band? Well, what do you want to know? I mean, I've done them all. (laughs) Or you just do. pick one. You, pick today, one that got, we've heard oh, no, of. I've got to tell my one about. I've got to tell my one about who was it? You said Marillion. That's who you were saying. Marillion in misplaced childhood. That's go on. Go on. Stephen just told us if we he keep going on about Marillion, he's going to walk out. Yeah, he said, don't mention Marillion again. <laughs> uh, so let's the, start. The trouble is, readers, is I, I've been in the studio with so many bands. You know, they they beg me to come. <laughs> they yeah, play they me. You're going to write some grovelly. They play me the track. I stand there bored yeah. and say, that bass, turn it up a bit. Well, no, you don't, because the, the, here's, here's the, it's, a, it's a horrifying position to be in, to be invited to the studio. Actually, it really that, is. They know that you know they're going to play their new album, whatever it is. Oh, it's and horrible. You have to, and it's going to be a volume where you can't even yeah. hear what's going on. And the thing is, you and have to sit there. Yeah. And you have to sit there pretending to, to be really to into it. it. Yeah, and, think it's, oh, and what are you supposed to say after? Oh, it's great, yeah. Oh, it's much better than the last one. Well, you sit there going like this. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was in the studio like with that. Metallica yeah. when they were yeah. doing Master of Puppets, and they said, here's the title track. Yeah. There's no vocals yet. <laughs> yeah. And I went, great, <laughs> How great. good that was, yeah. yeah. So off it yeah, goes. Still like, dun, 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 dun. Ten minutes later, you know, uh, 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 and I'm looking, (laughs) thinking, are they all still listening? They're all like, Cliff's going like this. What do you think? Oh, I better throw a bit of that in, you know. Um, It's it's a terrible experience. Yeah, the the worst one was um, when I was doing Black Sabbath's PR in 1980. I'd only just got the gig, and they were finishing off the Heaven and Hell album in Paris with Martin Birch. And um, I, I, I took some journalists with me. They were going to do an interview, you know, for the album when it came out. And we were doing photographs at the Sacre Coeur, very Sabbath, you know. And um, 
the 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 only thing was as Bill Ward the drummer would not make himself available. He was like, Bill's not well. He's very fucking ill. So, uh, all right, all right, don't worry. We've got Ronnie Dio, you know. Um, anyway, Bill didn't show up the whole the whole weekend. He turned up for the photo session, and all he said to me the whole time is, why are we doing this? Who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, hi, Bill, I'm Mick. I'm from the PR agency. We're going to do some photos here. And it's all going to be, what? Who are you? I said, what am I fucking doing here? So this went on, and I just thought, well, he's mental. You know, I just think fucking ignore him. The last night, we're getting a 6 a.m. plane in the morning. 2 a.m., I get a phone call from the tour manager saying, Bill wants you to come to his room. I'm like, <laughs> tour manager was Paul. I said, Paul, I'm in bed. I'm getting up in a few hours to go to the airport. He went, Bill wants you to come to his room. So off I go. I get out of bed. I go to Bill's room. And he's in this huge suite at the Georges Saint Hotel in Paris. And as I arrive at 2.30 in the morning, the hotel plumber is leaving. And uh, Paul's like, yeah, don't, don't worry. Don't worry about him. Don't worry. Just ignore it. Just ignore it. I said, what's the plumber doing here? He went, Bill's been throwing up for several hours. And he's clogged up every bath, every toilet, and every sink. So I've had to call the hotel plumber. And I was like, should, I, should we leave here? I just go, we leave here. He said, no, no, he wants to see you. So I go into this suite and he's got a balcony all flung open. And you can see the Eiffel Tower, you know. And Bill is standing there completely naked, apart from a dressing gown, which is flapping open. I mean, not even like getting a little peek. It's like, you know. And uh, I said, well, Bill, you know, good to talk. What are we doing here? He said, I'm going to play you the album. <laughs> the dreaded Fuck! Yeah. And he goes, but we haven't done the vocals yet. <laughs> and I thought, it's a joke. It wasn't a joke. So I listened to the whole of the Heaven and Hell album. Yeah, it's great work. Great without album. vocals for about an hour. Well, he sat there like that with his old todger <laughs> hanging out. And I'm having to go. Yeah. That was great. What's this next one called? Oh, I don't fucking know. An hour. It was the longest hour of my life. I couldn't remember anything about the music. No, um, you, yeah. So that was a lovely, a lovely uh, experience. It's a lovely story, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, share, share one of your lovely <laughs> stories from the studio. Well, actually, actually, no, talking of that, the, the, I'm, I am going to say Marillion again. This is, oh I don't mean to. Oh, my God. But when, uh, when the great split happened between Fish and Steve Hogarth, um, which was about 1987 or something like that, was it? Yeah. About then. And they, they divided, obviously, into two camps, but they were both still on EMI, both still on the same label, which was obviously, you know, recipe for disaster. But... Uh, Brian Munns, who was uh, Marillion's press officer and also Fish's press officer, really lovely diamond geezer. Marillion have hired a studio. It's called the Mushroom Farm. You should come down and meet, Ste you know, meet Steve and write a great story and you know. So me and Ray Palmer obviously drive down. And it was somewhere the off photographer. Yeah, yeah. It was somewhere off the M25 Sussex, something like that. We're driving down with you. Find this place. Is it? as they used to say, big house with comfy sofas, which is what they used to really like. And Steve Hogarth comes to bounce. He was all, because he just like joined the band, you know, he's going to be famous. And 
comes bouncing out. He's wearing this sort of fisherman's sweater. You know, like those long knitted white Aaron yeah. sweat, like the least rock and roll thing you could wear. But that's his you singing because he's little and skinny, yeah, likes the big baggy like jumper, big, yeah, floppy hair. Yeah, that's exactly you what know. he was like. So, we, you know, I play keyboards. Yeah, we do all this. And they said, Better uh, than Mark. They said, Yeah, well, we've got, you know, we thought, um, yeah, we've got some stuff to play you, but we thought rather than playing it back to you, we'll actually play it. And he went, so, wow. No, I did. I went, wow. So we sat in this, like this, like, sat in the, what's it called? The sound room or whatever the it's called. The studio? Yeah, but there's a room, isn't there? Oh, the like studio. the rehearsal room? No, no, no. In the, the live studio, room? The live room. There's a bit where there's a massive desk. And that's called bit, the studio. Yeah, and yeah. there's a bit where you, the musicians where they play. go. Where yeah, they play. that's called the studio. Yeah. No. <laughs> Tell us the story. No, no, that's it. So they, and they, and uh, it was the time of season's end, and they said they put a chair there, literally put a chair in the middle of the five of them, and I had to sit in it, and they physically played three songs from the album. And and what did but you do while you were sitting? Did you I dance? Know, I just, I was what just did like you do? This. Show us, show no, us. No, I was just like this. But you do realise, actually, you know, we take the piss a lot, which is fine, but how good they actually are, you know, and how yeah. good musicians are. And it was like, there's great waves of sound, but I couldn't hear anything. But it was great. So I went away and did exactly what they wanted. Ooh, that seemed brilliant. They were great. So, yeah. Were you and Steve best friends yeah, forever? Yeah, best friends ever. Best mates we've ever. We've been best friends forever since yeah. that day. Well, you're yeah. very similar, aren't you? <laughs> The very first time I ever was invited to a studio uh, happened to be the very first story I ever wrote for Sounds magazine that wasn't a little review of a punk band. And um, I was 19, still living at home with my parents, and Sounds called and said, Ian Hunter, the Mott the Hoople singer, he's in the studio uh, producing this band called Mr Big. Not the Mr. Big in the 80s, the original Mr. Big that had a hit with Romeo and Juliet. No one remembers that? that yeah. Oh, it was, it was called it Romeo. Was called, yeah, just called Romeo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, well done. Um, so uh, <laughs> You've passed the... This is, this is 1977, <laughs> and they're like, look, he's producing Mr. Big. Get a bit of stuff about that, but just interview Ian, you know, get the goods. So um, they sent a limo. So I'm at my mum's house in this cul-de-sac and a limo turns up and the, all the neighbours came out to watch. <laughs> and as I get in, they're waving. <laughs> and it's like, no. In the limo was the EMI press lady and the editor of Record Mirror, who was this very formidable woman that had been around for years, you know. And um, so I'm like, the I'm like this uncool prick that's just coming out of it. So we get in the limo. And off we go to this residential studio in Oxfordshire. And um, they've got all... This is the 70s. They've got brandy. They've got all kinds of champagne. It's all going on in the back of the limo. Needless to say, by the time we got there, I'm pissed. And um, as we pull up into the... It's a farm-type deal. We pull onto the courtyard. As we stumble out of the limo... Here comes Ian Hunter, just happens to be walking across the courtyard. Now, I'd been a huge Mott the Hoople fan. I mean, literally two years before this, I probably had pictures of him on the wall. So I'm a bit nervous. Whoa. Plus, I've never interviewed anybody before. <laughs> and this is literally your first interview. First interview. Right. And, um, of course, he knows the record company lady. I can't remember her name. But, oh, yeah, oh, great times. Yeah, oh, do are you at the party? Oh, yeah, you know. And then Roz, the editor of Record Mirror, who'd been around for years, she used to be on Disc and Echo and all this, 
He's like, Rose, she's like, Ian, oh, do you remember Paris? Oh, LA, you know. Oh. And then he went, oh, and this is Mick. And he looked at me and he gave me, literally gave me an up and down. And he went, how old are you? And I went, 19. And he went, yeah, I've got a son about your age. And he turned his back on me and walked off. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's not good. He thought, here's a test. Here's a test. Here's test my so journey. now we're in the studio while he's working with Mr. Big and they're recording some song. And as Stephen knows better than anybody, they just keep doing take after take and fiddling with knobs and whatever people do in studios. And it goes on for hours. And the idea is, is no, just chill, just hang back. And when Ian's ready, he'll talk. It's like, fuck me. So about three hours go by. I'm still drinking. I'm now sloppy drunk. Can hardly think straight. And they're like, Ian's ready. Oh, fuck. You know, so we go in this room. Ian's ready. But he's very busy. So he'll have to, he'll have to interview him both at the same time. Roz is like, yeah, no problem. Consummate pro. I'm like, what? What? So we go in. I'm unpacking my old cassette recorder. And he goes, uh, no tape recorders. I went, what? He goes, no tape recorders. I said, what am I going to do? He goes, oh, you don't do shorthand? You're not a real journalist. Roz is like, no problem. Out comes her pad. Psh, shorthand. So I've got, I'm given <laughs> some paper and a pen. And I'm not asking anything because Roz is on the case. And I'm just sort of, the new album is my best in years. You know, that sort of thing. And finally, I can stand it no longer. I'm this huge Mott the Hoople fan, but I'm an even bigger David Bowie fan. And finally, I just go, they're like, so Mick, don't you have any questions? And I'm like, what's Bowie like? <laughs> and it was like, oh. And it was like, come on, get rid of him. Yeah, you know when you're being got rid of. Mick, come and look at the, uh, the garden. You know, why don't you sit in the limo? <laughs> Write your notes up. And... Uh, and they didn't even run the story in the end. So that, oh, that was a fantastic introduction. That was lovely, yeah. Yeah, to yeah. rock artists and studios. Yeah. And that's what made me the yeah. man I am but today. But you're right, that thing of them, you know, constantly doing takes and thinking you'll be interested in that. Yeah. yeah. Without yeah. the vocals. Yeah. yeah. Well, without, well, yeah, whatever it is they're doing. I mean, they used to have to, I mean, probably Stephen will disabuse us of this notion. But you used to have to do it one instrument at a time, didn't you? I believe that was the oh, system. I, well, yeah. I'm Stephen will tell us. I'm sure he's way past that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> start yeah. off with the drums. We always thought, like, how? Yeah. But yeah. Um, another time in the studio. Have you got? What about you, John? One well, more. No, I, I tell you what. I was going to. You know, we were talking recently about um, Tony Clarkin, who sadly passed away. Tony the Hat. To the Hat. Yeah. Who was a you know really lovely fellow. But yeah. You know, fair to say, a kind of slightly parochial brummy. You know, he wasn't a rock. He wasn't like Ian Hunter or someone. No. Know. He was a, you know. Wore a hat. Yeah, wore a hat. Yeah, yeah. And he was just, a, if you ever interviewed him, you'd be like, oh, Tony, you know, get, get my pad out, you know. Uh, what about, how did you come up with that song? You don't know, really. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Just, you know. And he was very much like that. And uh, for, you keep looking over. Are you... Is it time you were looking over? No, the, no. Oh, keep okay. going, mate. You're all right. I've got a shepherd's crook for yeah, when yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was, and they got Magnum sort of had a, a little period where they were kind of getting slightly bigger than just playing the Hammersmith Odeon and selling, you know, 20,000 records. They got a bit bigger than that. And the record company decided, well, they'll send them to LA to record. And they'll send them with Keith Olsen, producer Keith Olsen, who had done, God, you know, Pat Benatar and. White, he did white. He'd just done White Snake. That's right. He'd done White Snake remixes for America. He was the big guy. He had his own studio. So, like, you know, they said to me, "Oh, do you want to go?" You know, we're with Keith Olsen at his studio, which is called Goodnight LA, out in LA. I said, yeah, great. You know, but his studio was in Van Nuys, which is. I was trying to think about how to. If you've Shit seen, hole. that's the yeah, word he's you, looking yeah, for. If you've seen the film. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino film, where you know the Brad Pitt character who's the stuntman and he's, he drives the uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio character around and he drops him off and then he has to go home and he goes home to some shithole <laughs> and he lives in a caravan with a dog and there's a big sign that says Van Eyes. That's, that's, yeah. that's where it was. That's, so that's you were right at home. Yes, yeah, so I was right. <laughs> Yeah, so we got to, yeah, we were taken out to Van Nuys and walked into the studio, and there's all these, and the studio was a bit like a cat. It wasn't. I thought this is going to be like a proper big, you know, White Snake had been here and all that. But Keith Olsen hadn't done that. He just remixed their stuff. He hadn't actually recorded with them, so White Snake had never been to this place or anything. We had this big row of um, gold and silver discs along the wall, and he'd left a gap in the in the. <laughs> And he'd got, got a, like a post-it note or something and he stuck it up there and he'd put reserved for Magnum. <laughs> yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, this is just going to, yeah. Class. Um, yeah, class. So we listened to the album and they've made Tony Clarkin, the one thing anyone knew about Tony Clarkin was that he was a great songwriter. He could do all his own songs. He did all the lyrics. He did all the music. He was like a one-stop Magnum shop. They decided because they were going to be famous, they should get him to write with other people. <laughs> So they'd got him, um, Russ Ballard, my chum. He'd written a song with Russ Ballard. Uh, Jim Valance, who was the guy oh who writes with God, Brian right, Adams. Oh, my God, Brian Adams. Yeah, yeah. so he'd written all the... But they weren't... They were no good, you know, because it wasn't magnum. Right. You know, and uh, so, yeah, it was one of those ones where you just had to sit there listening to the 
the bad side. Yeah. Did you say? Uh, did you say, Tony? They're not very good, are they? Well, I t yeah. You didn't, did you? I didn't. No, I came. You home sat there and you went. <laughs> they're great. great. It's, it's the best thing best, you've ever best done. Best thing you've ever done. Yeah, really good. Mm. Yeah, because it was. Uh, but yeah. So and then uh, yeah, they spent all this money. Spent like you know half a million quid or whatever. The album never came out. Never right. came out in America. But you're right though, John. Things have changed a lot. I mean, I was thinking, um, for instance, I was around a lot when Phil Lynott was making his solo album, Solo in Soho. And uh, compared to now where, uh, you know, you wouldn't have a whole crowd of people in there getting under your feet and getting in the way. I remember he did record that at a studio in Soho. And was it one at the marquee maybe? I can't remember. But in, in those days, there was much more of a sort of an entourage and you would turn up. And I remember um, because I knew Thin Lizzy and I was doing PR for other acts related. And so one night we just went down there and um, it was packed. It was like a party. There were loads of people all doing drugs, all boozing, all smoking. And in the middle of it, um, Kit Wolven or someone like that yeah. trying to produce the record. But the thing I do remember the most is this studio had a, um, here's the desk, here's your producer, here's Phil next to him. And then behind is this sort of huge chorus of lunatics, um, including me. Yeah. Uh, and all the Thin Lizzy characters like Big Charlie and fucking Crazy Dave, <laughs> Dangerous Frank, and don't talk to him, he'll kill you, you know, all these people. But it was, so there was like a, like a bench you could sit on and then behind that was another bench that went up. And then behind that, another bench that went up. And on the top bench was Paula Yates. Mm. And yes. Mm. And she sat there on the top bench with various friends. But it was very bizarre because she sat there on the top bench with her legs wide open in a tiny skirt and no knickers. Not that I noticed. <laughs> I was told this afterwards. Immediately averted your eyes. I imme as the gentle. Yeah. I made my excuses. You said, "Madam, I said, wearing no knickers." <laughs> Please, madam, control yeah. this yourself. This is a recording studio. People, people here are trying to, to create you know, art. Yeah, exactly, and you're here showing your legs. Particulars. Legs. Yeah. Your attributes. Yeah. Yes, I, I was I, urging Phil on. Phil uh, was in there doing. And, and of course, all the oh, blokes are kind of. You Irish in your. They're, <laughs> they're all nudging each other. You sort of go. Oh. <laughs> I can't. No, 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 no. And and finally, Phil turns around. He looks. He goes. Ah, oh, come on now, Paula. Put it away. Put it away. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, fuck off, Phil. And they just did it even more. So um, yeah, I don't remember much about the music. But uh, hang on, this is this is Phil Linnett. She can't have been very old at that. I mean, I'm not going to go all. No, she what? wasn't very old, John. No. I don't know why, where you're going with this, but well. early twenties. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. What do you think? She was twelve years <laughs> old or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's like Phil Linnett. I mean, I think of Phil Linnett. I think of the seventies. You know, this was like 1980. Oh, okay. Uh, a year yeah. or two later, yeah. she was doing the tube and all that stuff. Yeah. She she had a column in Record Mirror. And that's how she kind of became famous in the biz. Um, so that was an interesting studio experience. I wonder if Stephen, when, he, when he was making his... He doesn't uh, wear underwear. If he's... <laughs> <laughs> he's famous. He famously doesn't... No, it's shoes, isn't it? Yeah. Or something like that. Ah. Yeah. 
Ah, well, we'll, no, we'll come I'm to joshing, that, John. I'm joshing, but I'm sure, you know, that would, that would have been Phil's vibe, you know, Phil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. there, was no, uh, there yeah. was no seediness at all. No. None, <laughs> no, none whatsoever, all. none no. whatsoever. So, um, uh, John, more you know, studio did, You know who did that to me? Jane Andrews. Do you remember Jane Andrews? <laughs> she she yeah, wore no we knickers. Did, we, and did, we did a... We, so we should explain. Jane Andrews, Jane Andrews was uh, an executive at Atlantic Records. Um, and, yeah, she was blonde. I remember she, she used she was, to... She was, she was the sort of the right-hand woman of Bill Kirbishley. <laughs> She became the right-hand woman yeah. for Bill Kirby. Well, she was by the, probably by the still point, is. By the time this was happening, she was, because she was in charge of Judas Priest. But long mm. before that, John, she worked for Atlantic. And like when Rat were one of the bands, they came over. And I remember her asking one of the female journalists from Sounds, you know, uh, wh which one do you want to sleep with? You know, <laughs> she was one of those girls. Rat. She did, a, she did a tour with Robert Plant, and at the end of it, um, she suddenly had these really big bosoms, and uh, she's like, "Here, yeah, Mick, what do you think of this?" <laughs> and I went, "Very, I, I, very, very." Let me hang on. I like didn't Paulie see it first Yates. time. Show like me. Paulie Yates. No, I don't, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I said, "Very nice." <laughs> she said, "Robert bought me those." <laughs> and I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Well, I, I was offered a tour bonus or new boobs, and I chose new boobs." And I went, "Let's have another look." Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how we got onto that. You mentioned Jane Andrews. Yeah, well, so well, Jane she, Andrews, what yeah, did she, she do to you? She was managing Judas Priest at this time. Right, and right. Priest, had done a, Priest had done an album called Painkiller, which was exactly as it sounded. And they did a Beano to Spain to listen to it. Again, uh -huh. go, and, go and listen to it. It wasn't a studio, it was a hotel in uh, Puerto Banus, which is like the, the kind of upmarket bit of Marbella. It's a beautiful Spanish hotel with about... Uh, uh, half a plane full of rock hacks got to Gatwick about like five in the morning, got on a plane to Spain, drive down to Puerto Banus. You can imagine what the bus was like. Uh, you know, Paul Elliott was there. Small Sherry. Chris Welsh was there. Oh, who bloody hell. The, the, you know, by that time was probably in his late 70s. He didn't want to get up at five in the morning and go and listen to a Judas Priest. I had a few <laughs> drinks on the plane. So we go to the... And it's a beautiful hotel, really lovely. And it had a, um, had a church in the grounds. It was a bit like the Sunset Marquee, but it had a church in the grounds. All these people were going in to say mass and all this sort of thing. We all get given... Uh, the priest are there waiting to be interviewed. We all get given a Walkman with the album on it and we're sitting by the pool. Going and like we this. have to put it on and listen to it. And Welchie, by this time, is completely gone. And uh, he would put this album on. It's like, he is the painkiller. I mean, it's like <laughs> that sort of volume. And Actually, I see, John, it's good to hear you sing. Yeah. I, I don't mean to well, sidetrack you here, Halford. but we've had a lot of readers commenting well, no, on your singing yeah, voice. You, Can you do that? No, just I do just it one more time. How did it go? It was like, he... Louder. It was all, like those Halford type He's going to you know, paramatalise you and all this stuff. Do and it I again. See, I see Welchie's going... Welchie's like this. He's going... By the pool, the sun's beating down, you know. And so you could hear it coming out of his headphones. And he falls asleep listening to the album. Jane Andrews comes out. She's, like, horrified by this sight of all these people. And, yeah, she, like, was bending down, trying to wake Chris Welsh up. A little skirt like that. She's bending right down like this. And, yeah, exactly did the same as Paul. Did he wake up? No, but the rest of us... The rest of you did. The rest of us were, like, suddenly interested. And it's like, oh, do you want to go and talk to Robin? Yeah, all right, fair enough. Yeah. 
We Lovely should explain, rocking. Chris Welch was a doyen of music journalism on Melody Maker in the 60s and 70s, in the days when they were in Fleet Street. Lovely, lovely man. But he ended up at this moment in his career where he needed a job. He ended up on Kerrang! Yeah. And it was like the most inappropriate job you could give him because he was a much older man. He didn't... He had brilliant stories. He'd been, like, he'd been <laughs> on the plane with Led Zeppelin. Was it? You know, the first job he got at Kerrang! Jeff sent him to interview Wasp on a video shoot. <laughs> and he asked one of the best questions I've ever heard. Blackie Lawless is standing there. He's got that fucking cob piece on, you know, that he used to have. And it's got... I fuck like a beast written around the outside of the comp piece. And Chris was sort of looking at him. He goes to him, uh, he goes, tell me, Blackie, he goes, how do you sit down in that? <laughs> that was brilliant. And Blackie Lawless goes, you know what? He goes, I've actually got a chair that's got a slit cut in it <laughs> so I can sit down like that when I'm c coming off stage. So he actually got a brilliant answer out of, uh, out of Blackie Lawless. So he was that kind of guy. But yeah, J Jane Andrews is actually brilliant. Then we now know provided by Robert Plant waving these in his face to see if he'll wake up. And then she'd wandered off and then he, he, he sort of woke up and he, he, sort of, he went, uh, oh, oh, don't tell Jane, will you? Don't tell Jane. <laughs> Bless him. No, he was he's a lovely man. He was a lovely man, yeah. I think he's still alive, isn't he? Yeah. 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 He was then. Well, he'd maybe not be anymore. He might be a <laughs> bastard now, might he? <laughs> Says John. Right. <laughs> Now, John, we're coming yes. towards the end of our uh, no, no, exciting... Keep looking over there. It's very off-putting. Well, why don't you look yeah. at the audience? Yeah, I, I am, I do, but I can't There's see an audience, John. Every time I look over there, it's just a light. Um, yeah. Any more studio stories? No, no, I'm not telling anything else now. That's <laughs> he hasn't got any. <laughs> I got a couple. I got a couple about Marillion. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Or Marino. Marino. I'll tell you a Marillion story then in the studio. Yeah. I was with them in... Finish us off with a Marillion. Oh, yeah, because... Yeah. You know you want to. Yeah. Um, I'm in the studio in Hansa Studios in Berlin with Marillion while they're making Misplaced Childhood. And... Um, great album. They had these One two... One of the great albums. Uh, but the A&R man from EMI was there, Hugh Stanley Clark. Do you remember him at all? Mm. Married to Jenny mm. Stanley Clark. Talk about the odd couple. But anyway, Who? Hugh's there and he takes it very seriously. This is 85. He and he's talking to me about... Misplaced childhood needs to be taken seriously, Nick. He, yeah, but this guy took himself very seriously, John. He's talking to me about demographics and how we choose singles and all this sort of business. And so he makes, oh, he makes them... You were really... In, you really had something to say about that, didn't you? He, well, exactly. He made the Chris Kimsey, the producer, play two tracks... Uh, and they were going to choose one of them as the single. And the first track they played was Kaylee. And I remember saying, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Your, your uh, you know, instinct for the... Oh, uh, pounced on yeah, it, yeah, pounced yeah. on it. So, yeah. And then they played another track called Lady Nina, which eventually became the B-side. B it was a B-side. It was a good song, And I'm song, like, though. now that's a hit. Yeah. Listen to me while I testify. That's a hit. You'll be... Bloody fools if you don't put that out. So they didn't, didn't put that out. They, they didn't even put it on the album. No, they put it on the B-side <laughs> of Kaylee. And Kaylee, of course, yeah. uh, was their biggest hit. It was one of yeah. the biggest hits of the year. But there is a story, because the song Lady Nina was named after a notorious... Um, what would you call it, John? It a, after it Hours? A, it was an establishment very near or under the studio, wasn't it? It certainly became their... their Hang gathering point after the studio and why why it was particularly interesting for them was in the terms of their history was because it was where fish met his future wife 
Tammy, Tamara, who was German. And she was... She ran the bar. She was the hostess with the mostess. Can we say that? I just did, I suppose. Um, it was full of hookers, high-class hookers, drug dealers. So, of course, the band loved it. Mm. And they'd be there every night. And... Um, so they wrote a song about it, and Fish ended up marrying Tammy. And she's in the video for Kaylee, if you want to know what she... And she's in the video. Like, they yeah. did a video for Lady Nina, because they later released it as a single in America. Um, but my main memory is, again, Ray Palmer, his name comes up. He's sadly passed on. But he was an absolute wild man photographer, wasn't he? And he was all about the sex, you know, wasn't he? <laughs> If he went on a trip I mean, aren't and we all let's be honest. well, not like Ray. Yeah, he was a photographer. He called everybody darling, and women loved him, didn't he? And his whole chat-up line would be, "I'd love to photograph you in my studio. Will you come to my studio? Will you come to my studio and take all your clothes off, and I'll photograph you?" And they all went, "Yes." Um, so he was quite uh, quite uh, determined in that area. And um, we're with Fish doing the endless interview which accompanied by the endless cocaine and Jack Daniels and all the rest of it. And it gets to like five in the morning, that time when it's really like, that time of really got to go, you know. And Ray is disappointed because he thought Fish was going to take us to Lady Nina's. <laughs> and uh, he's like, so uh, we're not going to Lady Nina's? And Fish is like, oh, come on, man, it's five in the morning. Ray's like, well, I'm still up for it. I'm, I'm not tired. I'm not sleepy. We could Mick, you'll come with me, won't you? I went, no, not in a million years. I'm going to bed. Fish pulls out his credit card, his gold Amex or whatever it was, and goes, there you go, Ray. Take that and go to Lady Nina's. And Ray's like, oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. And I went, I'm like, Ray, fucking stop. <laughs> Control yourself. And... Um, yeah, so there wasn't a lot of talk about concepts or albums, but there was a lot of talk about Lady Nina's. Um, and uh, that's Well, I mean, in fairness, that's what the album was sort of about, wasn't it? it was all about. No, actually, it was more the neck clutching at straws that was the drug out. Problems, album, problems. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, now, uh, that, I think, is going to conclude our, oh, our, our first half, yes. Um, but after 15 minutes or so... Come back in and we'll be welcoming to the stage someone who actually does know more than any of us combined about studios and a hell of a lot more. The one and only Stephen Wilson. <laughs> so uh, join us back here in about 15. Thank you. Thank you. You may clap. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. How do I stop this, Fern? <laughs>